Hey everyone, welcome to another Cup of News episode. It's always a pleasure looking and finding topics, evidence-based things that catch your eye that we want to include on this episode. I know there's a lot of stuff going on in the news and we like to handpick topics. One of those things are the Middle East. I know we've been asked a ton by people to do a topic on that, so that's coming soon mm. as we need to do more research. So I'm excited for this one. How are you doing, Pete? I'm doing great, man. We have a cool episode for you guys. We're going to dive into some cardiac research Matt and I have looked into regarding two different things that were standard protocols and we're exploring why they're protocols or if they're even effective. And then we're going to move on to the healthiest type of milk. Obviously, cow milk is the mo- one of the most debated topics around now. Is it healthier to drink cow milk or are these plant-based alternative milks a better idea? Well, we're here to discuss the benefits of drinking plant milk versus actual cow milk. Yes, and I've tried in the past month probably like three or four different mm-hmm. kinds. I'm really looking forward to trying the hemp one. That's the one milk that I haven't tried yet. Yeah, I haven't tried hemp milk either. But with, with these with these cardiac, cardiovascular research that we looked into, the first one was regarding the effectiveness of aspirin and preventing cardiovascular disease. Or in another sense, it's the effectiveness of prescribing a- aspirin post-cardiovascular disease. Because, you know, if somebody comes in for an MI or a stroke, they're going to be most likely on lifelong aspirin. And uh aspirin dose that we go with is the 81 milligram dose. That's your baby baby aspirin, right? So this study actually looked at why do we have the 81 milligram dose of aspirin? Is it any better than the 325? Does it have any kind of positives or the drawbacks? Because 325 of aspirin is a standard dose, right? But we decided since this is going to be like a low-flow medicine, it's most likely going to be more beneficial to just do the 81 milligrams. Because even though though we didn't fully find out that the 325 was detrimental to you or unhealthy. Yeah. We just went, hey, let's just start with lower. Maybe it might be better. And so this is what the study examined. Is there a difference between the effectiveness of a 325 dose daily versus an 81 milligram dose daily? And this is a pretty nice study. It's 15,000 people that were followed for over 26 months. And they checked things like death, hospitalization, myocardial infarctions, and hospitalizations for stroke. So... Mm-hmm. The patients that were taking 81 milligrams, there was 590 patients that suffered death or hospitalization versus 569 patients that took the 325 milligram. Mm. So not much of a difference. It wasn't very conclusive when it comes to death and hospitalization between the two doses that you take. Right. And even when they looked at major bleeding occurrences, 53 patients in an 81 milligram group and 44 patients in a 325 milligram group. Right. You're on these medications, you have risk for bleeding, and it shows that there's really not much of a difference between someone taking 81 milligrams versus 325 when it comes to adverse bleeding issues. It also would be interesting to see. I know Eliquis works a lot differently, differently than aspirin, but imagine comparing a study whether aspirin is maybe just as effective to use because patients that take Eliquis and they have a brain bleed or they fall, we can't reverse anything. It's not like Coumadin where there's a reversal agent. So mm-hmm. these patients sometimes... We can't, they're not operable for five days. Well, you have the benefit of um, more of a controlled um, coagulation system compared to taking Coumadin. Yes. Coumadin's, uh, you need like almost daily dosing uh, modification to get its full effect. And you have to check the INR with your, mm-hmm. you know, with your doctor. So there's a lot of drawbacks yeah. to that. So going back to the study, though, the study concluded that there was no significant difference in cardiovascular events or major bleeding between patients assigned to the 81 milligram and those assigned to a 325 milligram of aspirin daily. 
So this 81 milligram idea somebody brought up just because they thought it would be more safe to take a smaller dose over a long period of time versus the regular dose. It's, this study at least is showing that there's really no difference. Yeah. So if you're, I don't know what the effective age is to take them. Some, some people recommend it to take if you're over the age of 50 or have risk or risk factors in your family. You could choose either or. Mm-hmm. But taking 81 milligrams is safer because you're less coagulated, less chances of bleeding if something were to happen, and it's just as effective based yep. on this research. I would say starting off for sure, less is always more. Right? So go with 81 for now. Likewise, I agree. Mm-hmm. The next study we had here is we looked at one study, which was the effectiveness of left atrial appendage occlusion during cardiac surgery to prevent stroke. So the left atrial appendage closure is a procedure done to close off an appendage protruding out of the left atrium. So there's like a little bleb, you could say, coming off the left atrium, and it's like a little opening. Yeah, like an aneurysm, almost like a triple A, but just in that area where the left ventricle is. Left atrium. Yeah, so so right where that is. And since you have that, it impedes blood flow to the area because obviously there's going to be blood flowing in there because it's like a little opening. And... In there, you're more prone to clot formation. Yeah. So this study looked at the effectiveness of closing that off while undergoing other cardiac procedures in somebody with AFib. Because obviously, if not obviously, but people that have AFib, they're at higher risk for coagulation, higher risk for stroke, ischemic stroke. That's why when you have AFib, you're usually on a blood thinner. You should get your blood levels checked more commonly than myself and I, who, not myself and I, but myself and Matt, yeah. that don't have AFib. And they're saying that if you have AFib and plus you have this left atrial appendage, you're even at a higher risk. So if they're already going into cardiac surgery, we might as well just close this off. And there wasn't really much research regarding this. People just thought, hey, this makes sense, so let's do it. But no one really experimented on it because everyone's in agreement that, hey, we think this is going to be beneficial on a large scale. So we just kind of went with it. It was hypothesized. Mm-hmm. And it makes sense because you have this perfectly shaped atrium. And then you have like a little bubble that sticks out at the end. So you have literally platelets and everything just clumping together. And it's like in like a little whirlpool, just imagine that. Yeah. So this is almost like getting an IVC filter, but you're, you're completely clogging it up. So there's no blood flow at all. To the area. And it's, it's usually people, I don't know if you mentioned it, that develop this during their fourth week in their embryonic development. Yeah. So it's not how, so it's not how it develops for everybody. Some people get it through old age, but... It's shown that if an infant has it, it's usually developed at that time. But regarding this research study, the mean age was 71 years old. So people, some people develop it with birth and it causes no issues. Some people develop it over over time. But it is one of the more common things that are seen during that embryonic stage. And sometimes they do close off themselves. So there's no really surgical intervention necessary. But regarding this study, average age was 71 years old, about 2,300 participants in an occlusion group and about 2,300 in a non-occlusion group. And... The results show that stroke or systematic embolism occurred in 114 participants in an occlusion group and 168 in a non-occlusion group. So with the occlusion group, it occurred about 4.8% and a non-occlusion was about 7%. So by not having this occluded during procedure, your chances of embolism are basically doubled. Yeah, so this is a good procedure based on what's going on. So even though it's not a giant percentage of people that experience it, 4.8% and 7%, it's still... if in medicine we could do anything to prevent any kind of harm, lower the chance of you getting hurt, we should, we'll go with it. So that drop from 7% to 4.8 doesn't seem like too like a big deal. But when you're dealing with people, every life counts, right? So it's a nice yeah. drop. So this seems like a very 
uh, good to us mm. when it comes to antithrombotic therapy, mm. especially how easy it is to develop a clot. Like you see patients that have a stroke and it's literally completely debilitating. Yeah, They can't do their basic activities of daily living or grooming or you have patients that are completely numb to one side. So an invasive procedure like this when it comes to saving the brain is worth it. Yeah. And the, the research shows that this is effective. Right. And you're already in the heart anyway, so might as well just get that done too while you're yeah. in so the procedure. Yeah, so this is, this is, um, this research uh, tests everything that was a junction to already the standard cardiovascular procedure. Correct. So if they're so, doing the a cabbage times four, they're going to go in and close this area already, right? Correct, that, yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's not like they're just doing this left atrial closure. It's, this is an adjunct therapy to an on already ongoing heart surgery. So it seems like this is very invasive. It's not something we could just uh, go into IR and thread something like a regular stent into the cath lab. Yeah, it's a procedure, yeah. So the next one is we actually compare plant milks to regular milk mm. and see which one is healthier. Again, it seems like everything is choose and decide what works for you. And I believe in precision nutrition mm. everybody bodies is different we do experiments on ourselves in a way when it comes to fasting and eating and going low carb one day same thing with milk i think everybody has a preference yeah i want to tell you right now there's nothing like like cow's milk man i've tried all of these plant-based milks i've had hemp milk if that is even a thing it and is. milk from a cow is so much better so much better I can't stop. And one, one thing I missed The is cheese is better too. The cheese is better than plant-based. Everything, if you're going to put cow milk into something and you're going to put a plant-based milk into something, nine times out of ten, that cow milk thing is going to taste a lot better than a plant-based milk Agreed. Thing. And I wish we had like regular milk like straight from the tit in a way. Mm. Straight from the Un Unpasteurized. Like that's one thing I've missed in Poland. Or imagine, so back in Poland, there's something called a batsufkana way and you just like go into this like man that like just takes care of sheep and he has like a little smokehouse in his little camp tent thing i don't know how to describe it and he makes like he has like raw cheese that he like is pressing and he's smoking mm. that's good milk yeah like well ha have you ever had zentitza before i did that's it's so sour it's so sour and that's like that's a very acquired taste yeah our all culture has interesting things because our diets are bad because of the amount of pastries and carbs that we consume and that population is at risk for like colorectal cancer yeah but at the same time they've done these other things like eat organ meats which balance themselves out for the most part and right. that's probably they live a decent life yeah so if you guys don't know zentitsa is basically milk from a sheep so when you have milk from a cow it's like sweeter it has natural sugars Milk from sheep is, is sour. It's like buttermilk, but even more sour than buttermilk. It's like kombucha. It's like just an acquired It's like kombucha of milk, drink. basically. Yes. Yeah, and it's super, super sour, and it's like clumpy, and it's not pasteurized like a regular milk. It's like clumpy. It's thick in certain points, then you get those regular liquid pieces, and it's just it's acquired taste. A lot of people don't like it, but for some reason, it's I, I, I like it. Like, you know how you have pickle juice? Some people like pickle juice, some people don't. It's like that. It's a pickle juice of milks. Yeah, it makes me wonder. It's kind of scary that we don't grow anything on our own. Mm -hmm. And I, that's one thing I believe. I don't want to get on the topic of climate change right now, but if we all became sustainable where we grew our own things and th did things like that, we would so solve a lot of issues. And that uh, goes yeah. into monocropping and all that stuff. That'd be a really cool episode to cover. I mean, it's a good theory to have, hey, we should grow our own food. 
I'm gonna tell you right now. I don't, have, I don't have time to go to my own food. Like, there's I know. no time. I have barely time to cook sometimes. You know, so it's not the biggest thing. It should be like community based. It should be like a community based thing where instead of grocery shopping or paying for these things, the community should just have like almost like a subscription base where you get health, you get like healthy foods grown in the community first, and then you know you go into outside sources for others. That's a very cool perspective. Right? Yeah. And and who knows what the future is going to be? Yeah. I, I went to a museum. I, th- I believe it's the science of industry in Chicago, and Dude, Chicago has some cool ass museums. They man. do. Somebody asked me, and I was surprised. And it, I was talking to I don't know if I was a travel nurse or a staff nurse, and I was like, "Oh, you're from Chicago?" I'm like, "Yeah." It's like, "Yeah, I heard you guys have some crazy museums." We I do. was like, "I'm thinking about it." I'm like, "Cause I take it for granted because you're just access there all the time." And we do have some cool ass like the museums. Van Gogh venue is out there. I mean, there's one in LA too. Yeah, like the. Um, the one's pop. The one's going on right now. That's like super. That's like booked and stuff. Yes. Yeah, that one. They have one here in LA too. But the museum. Yeah, the Museum of Contemporary Arts, Science and Industry, the Field Museum. Dude, it's such an amazing museum. And I was and that's Shed how, Aquarium. Yeah, I wanted to cover it because the future of like Chicago is supposed to be these high rises are going to start like growing agriculture. Mm. That'd be interesting because it's 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 already a high rise. Might as well have plants and they have direct sunlight and utilize that yeah. or on top or something or because. It would be very hard to grow vegetables going up, right? Because it'd be super high up. Unless you be like a separate chamber, like add a sectional to it, where there's levels and there's like vegetables on each level. Yeah, because you can't have just one giant tomato plant, right? You have a bunch of little ones. Yeah, it just it just seems like we're gonna condense the population a lot more. That'd be cool. And we're already seeing it in California, like just driving down the four hundred five. Yeah, there's so much condos, and it's like we're going away from homes, and everybody go is going into like these little community, you know, uh, condos. Yeah, one of like these conspiracy theories is about like population control that there's not enough land for our oh, population. Boy. But if you think about how much land there is, there's so much land that's unoccupied, and if you could figure out how to properly live in those conditions then we have a very large amount of land so to still cover if we could because the main reason why people deter from certain lands is because the climate sucks right but if you could figure out a way how to build a city or a town in the desert or you could almost live just like people live here that's you know that's something that that would allow us to expand further and further. And you would appreciate human beings more because like being here in LA, everybody's so condensed and there's so much people and you, you hate traffic because there's so many people mm-hmm. driving. You lose that human connection. It's just you hate because you're always surrounded by people. Yeah. But then again, you could spit into the the issue of like artificial living. Because what if someone's idea is, hey, we could put a city on the desert, but we're going to make it a dome. And it's like you have artificial sunlight, artificial air, because you're in a desert. So our means of popul- our climate control in the desert is putting this giant dome over us. To just and sustain artificial. us. To sustain us. And we're, we're like a little creatures growing in a little bubble of chamber. You know how people have like those ant farms? Yeah, we'd be or, a giant ant yeah, farm basically yeah, in the, the desert. Yeah, the this box and it's, it's self-sufficient and everything just because you provide with a certain amount of nutrients and it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. That's basically how that bubble would be. I could potentially see that in the future. Mm. It's pretty cool, though. Pretty cool concept. Come up with some great ideas. Mm. So let's just, let's go into these milks. So we're just going to talk about the six popular milks. One of them, of course, is what we love is cow's milk. It's naturally rich in protein, calcium, potassium, B vitamins. It's fortified with vitamin D, vitamin A, 
of course, is controversial to not consume it because of being vegan sometimes. And of course, these cows, we don't know how they're being raised, what they're being fed, if there's antibiotics that we're, you know, giving them, which could cause issues. But when it comes to nutrition, it's 150 calories for a cup, seven grams of protein, five grams of fat, mm. eight grams of carbs. Mm. Not bad. Not, not a bad drink. I'm telling you, man, I love milk. I've been drinking milk ever since I was shorty. I'm not going to test. There's been times where I wake up at night and just have a glass of milk. Some and cheesecake. Just, or some cheesecake and just go out of my business. And I've been doing it for work too. I'll have like eight ounces of milk and I have cereal on the side. And while I'm on break, I'll just have a bowl of cereal after like some food. There you go. Always hits the spot. Uh-huh, a snacker. Yeah. Next one is almond milk. To, how are you trying to cut though? I'm trying to cut. Mm. It's, it fits in my macros. Mm, fits in my macros. Matt's been doing macros lately. I've been counting the macros. Mm. There's only one way to, you know, get cut, and that's a full the foolproof method is counting macros. Getting cut with science. Exactly. So next one is almond milk. It's one of those lower-calorie drinks. One cup is only 37 calories, and it's a lot less when it comes to having saturated fats in the milk, a lot less protein, with it, which has about just one gram, and controversial because it contains additive, additives, additives geez, such as kerogens, which is... It prevents thickening and prevents or, or creates thickness and prevents a separation mm-hmm. of the content in almond milk. Um, it's been noticed and studied in animals and in the labs that it causes intestinal inflammation and damage. And that's true because we've had an episode about almond milk before in regards to it's hard for your some people to digest it. Like you know, people are lactose intolerant and they can't properly break down and utilize lactose. A lactose, which you know is a byproduct of, of of dairy, some people are unable to process this this enzyme in almond milk. So basically, runs the same issue. Some people ditch milk because they're lactose intolerant, and they hop into almond milk, and they have the same issues because they're also sensitive to this other enzyme in almond milk. Yeah, not to mention it's bad for the environment. We did mm-hmm. a podcast episode back then comparing the price and how much almonds and water it takes, and California is underneath the drought. Mm-hmm. So purchasing almond milk, thinking it's healthier for the environment, I don't know what the statistics are, but it's hurting the environment just as much because of where it's grown yeah. and of how much of a drought California is in. Yeah, don't call us on this one. This was like research I looked into two years ago. Hopefully it's better now. But when we looked at the research two years ago, back in the day, it showed that almond milk, use, to make almond milk, you use up more water and more land making these almonds and squeezing them than, than you do for cows. Yeah. So it's more efficient to just drink cow milk and versus almond milk if you're trying to save the environment and not take up so much land. And then if you want to remove the additives, I know people have made their own almond milk, mm-hmm. tasted delicious. I've never tried it myself yeah. for the sake of time. Be a cool thing to try. Right. Next on the list, we have oat milk. I'm not going to test with this. I've read some, some, some news articles regarding almond milk's rise in popularity, and it has shown to... Increased popularity by 182%. And I myself have been drinking a lot more oat milk than I have in the past. And it tastes pretty good. It tastes pretty good. Like, I like putting it in my coffee. I wouldn't mind drinking some of it. That's probably my second favorite milk. It's going to be first cow milk. And then if I had to choose a plant-based milk, definitely almond milk. Unfortunately, it does have added sugars. It's less calorie dense. It only has three grams of of uh, protein, which is not really much compared to regular milk. It's my Starbucks to mm-hmm. go to. I, have, I like to add oat milk to my... Um lattes whenever yeah. I drink. 
Yeah, and this is something that because I haven't really drank Omo very much in the past. Just this year, I started drinking it. It wasn't as popular. I don't know. I don't know why it became as popular. I mean, I realized kind of why now because it tastes pretty decent. Yeah. It, also, acquired taste. Mm-hmm. I'm not a huge fan of adding oat milk into my protein shakes. Mm-hmm. No, not at all. It like intensifies the sweetness for some reason. Does it? I don't know. I feel like it adds a weird taste. I was supposed to look this up before. Yes, yesterday we were thinking about it. You know, sometimes when you blend stuff and it changes the property of, of that thing you you're, you mixed. I think that's what happened to one of our smoothies before because it just tasted funny. And I think that by blending it with the with the oat milk, we mess with the chemical property of the oat milk, and for some reason, it just made it taste kind of funky. Yeah, I was I wasn't a fan of it. Mm-hmm. The next one is soy milk. So this is a non dairy milk choice that has a decent nutrient balance one cup contains six grams of protein about 105 calories so less calories than milk and it has 89 percent less saturated fats than whole milk i kind of don't buy into the marketing thing here when Mm -hmm. it comes to saturated fats because we debunked on a podcast why saturated fats fats aren't as bad as we once thought yeah do that due to that uh uh, physiologist right and like yeah the main thing that we Listen to somebody on a Jorgen podcast. I think it was like Danica Patrick or somebody that she actually talked about these isoflavins and inserting ingredients. And this is found to be in soy, which are supposedly estrogen mimicking compounds. Yes. Which I'm sure you've heard at some point on the news or somewhere on some kind of article where soy, large soy consumption was shown to have estrogen mimicking effects on men. That's why there was this whole issue with men eating a lot of soy because it messed with their, with their testosterone levels because it would increase their estrogen. And this is thought to be due to the, these isoflavins. Yeah, and not to mention that soy has is a huge GMO uh, crop in America. Mm-hmm. So not only that, you're also consuming GMO products, which I would love to get more into nutrition of myself and learn what am I consuming that potentially is genetically modified. Mm-hmm. I have no idea. One of them is soy, though. So yes... It mimics estrogen, and it's wild because the more and more I think about medicine and everything, it seems like inflammation is the main problem. So if you have a poor inflammatory body or markers that don't release when it comes to leukemia, things like that, you could get sick from infection. Mm -hmm. And then you have too much inflammation. It's just as bad for the body, and it creates cytokine storms like we experience, and it creates all sort of... uh, Crohn's, all this inflammation, gut lining, leaky gut. It's wild. That's the big problem in America. Our body functions in an optimal manner, but it's in a fine line. There's only a certain level where your body can fully heal itself and adapt to stressful situations. And I think it has to be in line. Once you throw one thing off, it leads to a cascade of other things. Even even like if you're just a little bit offline. Over time, it's going to damage you more and more because it's just progressive damage, especially inflammation. You might have a little bit of inflammation, but the inflammation keeps adding on, adding on, and adding on. Like with diabetes, you're always in a pro-inflammatory state, right? Even though it's not always a giant pro-inflammatory state, guess what? That pro-inflammatory state over years and years and years does damage to your veins, to your arteries, your cardiovascular system, your brain, and your neurons. And it's just over time, the body starts to just downgrade and just fall apart and yeah that's a great and literally that sugar that is not being broken down it's creating atherosclerosis mm-hmm. we thought that it's oh yeah it's linked to 
unsaturated fats and all these fats from meat and eggs are bad. We, we had that hype, but really sugar is the toxic pr- predecessor because if you have sugar circulating, your, inf- your immune system comes and cleans up the, the lining. You have the macrophages that are breaking these mm-hmm. compounds down and it's creating these byproducts that are creating cellular damage and creating plaque, which mm-hmm. is leading to cardiovascular disease. Yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. But think about sweet stuff. The next one on the list is coconut milk. It's tastes sweeter than uh, that regular milk and all the other plant-based milks. However, it has a lot less protein than regular milk, cow's milk, and it has about the same amount of saturated fats. So this isn't really giving you any kind of benefit. You're probably better off drinking regular milk compared to coconut milk, unless you maybe want some extra flavor in, in your coffee. But there's nothing really beneficial about coconut milk, unless it, they, they fortify it with, with, with vitamins, which I'm sure some companies do. But if you're looking for the best bang for your buck nutrition-wise, uh, all the other milks are probably going to be better than a coconut milk. Agreed. And I'm not a huge fan of the texture of the milk. Mm-hmm. The next one is pea milk. Also, I haven't really tried anything because peas is also, I think, another genetically modified food that's very relevant in America. Uh, naturally sweet as well has half the calories of whole milk, and it has about uh, five grams of saturated fats, just as much, uh, just as much as whole milk. And there's really no. I'm trying to think of coconut milk. I've never really consumed pea it. Milk. Pea milk. I'm sorry. I'm yeah. blanking out here. It has eight grams of uh, protein, which is the only good thing. We had a pea milk pea in, protein in is... Oakland. We had a pea milk in Oakland. Wow, I've tried I, pea milk before. Yeah, because I've had pea protein in Chicago, and we've had a pea milk in Oakland. Because we're trying to figure out how to get as much protein as we can. And pea milk was the option because mm-hmm. it has most grams for the... It's it's the bang for the buck when it comes to calories, when it yeah. comes to uh, protein, protein ratio. Yeah, yeah, which is interesting. Next one here is rice milk. I've never had rice milk, or I don't, not that I can remember. And it has fewer calories than whole milk, no saturated fat, and it's also low in protein. However, it contains the fast digesting carbs, so it's going to basically get converted into glucose in a High quicker manner. High index. Right, in a quicker manner compared to regular milk or all the other, other milks. So this is basically going to be high carb, the higher carb and calorie dense milks. And they're also fast digesting carbs, so it's going to keep you full long. It's probably the worst one on the list, I would say. Yeah, for sure. Especially with coconut. I don't know. This is, is, like, this is the horchata, basically, of mm-hmm. what I've consumed when it comes to milk products. And mm-hmm. it always hits the spot with a burrito. Yeah. So that's the only time I ever consumed rice milk. Mm-hmm. And then you have hemp milk. This is something that I've been wanting to try. So it's actually from the psychoactive compound of cannabis, but it's not psychoactive. And this milk is created by grounding and soaking the hemp seeds. Mm-hmm. Um, these things are highly in omega-3s and omega-6 unsaturated fats, very healthy for the brain. And it doesn't contain as much nutrients, though. But for 60 calories, you have 3 grams of protein and 5 grams of fat, which is a decent ratio. Yeah, that's not bad. You say 3 grams of protein and 5 grams of fat, 60 calories. I never tried to help them. Maybe you could order some. I'm kind of curious now. Yeah, so I've had a hemp seeds before that I bought at a store. Mm-hmm. Tasted okay. It's just like any kind of like flex seed texture, I would say. Mm-hmm. Milk is still on the list to try. Yeah. Another thing to always consider is when you're buying, buying regular milk, it's always to know where it's sourced from because a lot of these, these cows, the dairy farms, they give these cows antibiotics, they graze on pastures with, with corn that gets, or whatever, cows eat grass that gets polluted with pesticides and, and other 
insect killers and bug killers and the cows consume it so inevitably whatever they consume goes into their milk as well that's how we would recommend if you're going to get milk probably get it from a local dairy farmer that you know takes care of his animals properly and not in this super inflated artificial manner where it's just trying to get the cow to produce as much milk as fast as possible and i'm jealous for those that are listening they could actually get that kind of milk because mm. we have everything as much as I talk about, you know, natural and all that, I wish we had like a source, like a farmer's market, but for products like this, even fresh meat. I consume so much meat, but I don't know the source of where it's coming from. Mm-hmm. You know, the butcher, which is cool. I don't. And if you're a milk connoisseur, highly recommend Zintitsa, some sheep milk. If you're not sure where to get it from, you should probably fly to Poland and ask around because they'll show you where it's at. Exactly. Hope you guys <laughs> liked this episode of Cup of News, episode 50. Some show notes on cupofnurses.com. We are frontlinewarriors.com as well for the latest merch and everything with Frontline Warriors. What do we talk about? Some aspirin versus cardiovascular health, whether 81 milligrams is more beneficial than 325. Some left appendix, no, left appendix, left atrium appendage closure mm-hmm. device does help when it comes to mortality of cardiovascular disease and strokes. And then, of course, milks which is an open-ended opinion piece. Choose which milk you prefer. We go with whole milk and potentially hemp milk in the future. Yep. And don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube, check out our vlogs, and we also go live on Instagram once a week, so check us out a couple of nurses. Peace. Peace.